On this Sega Talk, we take a look at the book, TV special, movie, and video game based on the Dr. Seuss classic, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. How did this classic story come about? Why has it been adapted so many times? And is the licensed video game any good? Let's find out on this Grinchy Christmas episode of Sega Talk. SegaBits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the master here. So what's Hello and welcome to episode 110 of Sega Talk Podcast. I'm Barry. With me is the Max to my Grinch, George. Hello, everyone. <laughs> and uh, we're sitting here on top of Mount Crumpet, looking down on all of the comments sections below, uh, asking why, why, why the Grinch? Um, well, I'll be honest, uh, this is um, not a Patreon pick. Oh, I'm surprised. But it was not picked by me. It was, um, it was picked by someone else. And they sent a video message that we are supposed to play okay. before starting. So you have it, right? It's just called video message. Right. You send it to me. I was, okay. We'll, we'll, you want to play it right now? I'll, yeah. Okay, I'll start playing it right now. Oh, hi, Barry and Josh. I believe that you are... Uh, Play Grinch games on your Sega Dreamcast. <laughs> a Sega Dreamcast? Are those things even existent? Come on, get on the Xbox already. Oh, actually, the PlayStation 5. Actually, or maybe just don't. You know, get out, go for a run. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the Grinch video game, though. That's pretty good. I'll give you that one. <laughs> ah, ah, but your fans, huh? Your fans of the video game. And they had a video game about me. And you played about me. Yeah? Can't get enough, can you? Huh? Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Anyway. George, you have trouble pronouncing Japanese games. <laughs> and Barry wins on Twitter. Yeah. Oh, you start fights on Twitter, I should say, really. <laughs> mm. Mm. Good. Yeah. Get a life. Anyway. Very good, Smash. I like it. I wow. like it. It's all true. It's it is all true. true. And you know, the, the, the thing is, it's very fitting for the Grinch because usually for Patreon picks, uh, if you're a member of our Patreon, you can support us, patreon.com slash segabits. You, you give us a little bit of money and we will cover what you tell us what to cover. But in this case, we actually paid the Grinch to do a video <laughs> message. Where he insulted Now that us. I'm thinking about it, I think we're in the negative. Right. <laughs> Shoot. But he's got you pegged. I mean, he... You can't... You do have trouble pronouncing Japanese game titles and Yeah, and names. he's true. He's, he's, he's 100% correct. Yeah. And, and then he did get, get me, I do start fights on Twitter. A little um, bit. A little bit. Yeah. But, you know... Well, well, thank you to the one and only Grinch. That was... Clearly the real one. 
Okay, so it's like um, Santa, right? There's like a real Santa, and there's the fake ones, and this is the real Grinch. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. that's the real one. Okay, um, but let's let's actually let's talk about the history of the Grinch. Um, so the story of how the Grinch stole Christmas this dates back all the way to May 1955, Oof. and that's when author. Theodore Geisel, better known under the pen name Dr. Seuss, had a 33-line illustrated poem published entitled Hubub and the Grinch. And um, the the image that you're seeing here for Hubub and the Grinch is actually a drawing that was done, I believe, a little later. This is not something... This might have been something that was drawn up uh, before How the Grinch Stole Christmas was written, but this is this is basically his, like... Is prequel, mm. <laughs> so um, I thought since it's it's not that long and it's just something you, I don't think many people have ever heard. I would read through it. It's just a short poem, so you never th- knew you'd be getting <laughs> Grinch video messages and poetry on our holiday special. But here we go. So the hubub was sitting, looking out at the trees from the top of a mountain, chin on his knees. There's nothing he said quite as good as woods such as these. Then he walked, then up walked a Grinch with. A long piece of wire. How much will you pay for this that I assume you desire? You surely must have it. You'll find it's all good and worth so much more than a few scraggly woods. Huh? Asked the hubub. Sounds silly to me. Wire worth more than the woods? Why, that surely can't be. But it is, grinned the Grinch. Let me give you the reasons. The woods are full of bugs and mud in some seasons, for you'll have to admit that in spring and then in July, the woods are unpleasant thanks to black and dear flies but this wonderful wire that i have right here would be good and so handy every month of the year even so said the hubub i still sort of doubt but you know yap the grinch and he started to shout that from most woodsy places that you can't even see out but this marvelous wire all shiny and clean i declare you can do wondrous things for our (laughs) stockholders shares and of the woods and the views i mean who cares Stockholders, you say, said the hubub. That sounds high-tech. This long piece of wire, yelled the Grinch. Why, it's from Quebec. In fact, this piece of wire, sir, is highly conductive, but sitting in the woods, that's counterproductive. This wire is colossal, immense. And to you, well, I'll sell it for 98 cents. And the hubub, he's thinking about buying. And I'm sorry to say the Grinches sell hububs such things every day. What a strange story. So um, it's his like weird. The Grinch is like a, what is it like a shareholder or a businessman? And this is like is that what it is? So yeah, so the the Grinch he's kind of a grifter, right? You know, so um, he approaches this this little guy called a hubub, which is clearly like a precursor to the Who's, right? And he is trying to sell him something he didn't need. And he he talks about how the wire's worth more money because there's a whole, like, probably wire industry with shareholders. And, you know, you're, like, buying into something, whereas the woods, they're just full of bugs. There, there are no shareholders behind the woods. Right. Um, but, I mean, it's... <laughs> It's weird, but it's kind of interesting to see a few things there. Like, he's he's crafty, he's tricky, he, he doesn't like the Who's. Um, if you remember, there is a book called Horton Here's a Who with mm, the elephant. Remember right. that one? I think they made a movie of it, too, right? They made it, yeah, there was like an animated movie and a TV special. 
And in that one, the who's live on a little piece of like dust. And I don't believe in in how the Grinch stole Christmas. They they exist in any like little piece of anything until the movie came out, where they live on a snowflake. So there's all this like all these little like ideas bouncing around in Doctor Seuss's head in the Grinch canon, but it's right. all very loosey goosey. Um, I don't have like a Grinch canon section of this podcast, so there are like instances where the Grinch will like meet the cat in a hat, mm. and clearly the cat in the hat doesn't live on a little speck of dust. So there's it's flexible, you know. It's very flexible canon. I don't think uh, Seuss fans on Twitter are getting upset about this sort of thing. I have you. Did you check any of the lore videos before you started this to make sure that everything is one hundred percent accurate to the official Doctor Seuss lore? I honestly think we, this is the lore video. Okay. This is the first Dr. Seuss lore video. That's good. Um, but yeah, so the, this weird poem basically led to the story How the Grinch Stole Christmas, which um, Seuss began working on just a few years later. And his writing actually came on the heels of The Cat in the Hat. So he first wrote Cat in the Hat. You know, He wrote other books before then, but this was his big breakout hit. Then he started founding this uh, company called Beginner's Books, or Beginner Books, and that kind of explains why you'll see a lot of books with, like, the cat in the hat on it, but it's mm. not written by a cat in the hat author. Um, most famously, I remember uh, Are You My Mother, which is also called, um, was it, Eres Tu Mi Mama? Because we would read it in Spanish class a lot. Mm. Um, very popular book for, like, Spanish class and Spanish learning in, uh, in classrooms. Um, but yeah, so that was sort of his thing, and then he was most likely looking for more books to add to this uh, this new venture, and he claims that he was inspired by the commercialization of Christmas and his wife's reach, recent health problems, which ha- occurred around Christmas, which he said made him feel very Grinchish. And mm. if you know anything about Dr. Seuss, he uh, makes up a lot of words. Right. So he's probably really hard to be friends with because he'd say, oh, I'm feeling very Grinchy today. And you're like, that doesn't exist. (laughs) I feel like at this time, I mean, not this period. I don't know when the other guy was that I was going to mention. But the guy that wrote Alice in Wonderland would also make up a bunch of words. And I don't know if that's just like when you're a child author, do like investors, are they like super like impressed when you walk in making up words and acting goofy? (laughs) You know what I mean? That's what I feel like. I mean – it's kind of a he's carving out a niche here. Oh, yeah. off, obviously, like people will they know a Seuss book because it's filled with silly words and you know like nonsense. And but the art style, I, exactly. But what's really interesting is that art uh, writers like this and even um, um, hell, uh, what's his name, Romeo and Juliet, <laughs> Shakespeare. Shakespeare, yeah. He'll he'll make up words, and now they just become common. So like a lot of people will say, "You're being a real Grinch." And they're obviously talking about this book, right? And the picture you see up there is actually, I think, a, a f- early, a first edition book. Um, okay. I saw that it was selling for eight hundred and fifty dollars. The the one with the red eyes that makes him look evil. It does, and they actually they maintain that that printing for a lot of the copies. So the one I'm holding here is a new edition and probably only costs like fifteen dollars, not eight hundred and fifty. Mm. Um, but yeah, writing for this book actually only took a few weeks, and it was probably the easiest book of his career, except for the conclusion, which, according to Seuss, quote, 
I got hung up getting the Grinch out of the mess. I got into a situation where I sounded like a second-rate preacher or some biblical truism. Finally, in desperation, without making any statement whatever, I showed the Grinch and the Who's together at a table, and I made a pun on the Grinch carving the roast beast. I had gone through thousands of religious choices, and then after three months, it came out like that. So yeah, it took him just a few weeks to write the book, and then three months to figure out that ending. And um, spoiler alert, let's actually look at that ending. So here he is, carving the roast beast. And that's nice, you know? I mean, this book is very clearly, I mean, they're celebrating Christmas, but it's, it's, there's no Santa, there's no Jesus, so it's clear he was trying to make something that wasn't steeped in that, and he, I think it was because he didn't want it to come off as a very preachy book, which I'm sure definitely existed back right. in the day, like, ton. I mean, it was just common to get, like, a children's book, and they would just, it would be very religious, and I don't know if he was seeking to avoid that, or he just felt like it was too forced, you know what I mean? Right. Um, I mean, as as Sega fans, we'll see drawings of Sonic like praising Jesus, and it just seems a little forced, right? Right. I don't know if I've ever seen that before, but uh, there's like there's the meme art that I've seen where it's like, you know, that doesn't count, right? No, those are real. Those are That's, real. Those are legitimate oh, drawings yeah, yeah. of pe- that people have done, and then they become memes. Right. Okay. Um, I didn't know that. But, but we all know Sonic prays to Light Gaia. Right. 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 But I right. thought everything was canon. Everything is canon, including the Grinch. Uh, So the book was finished in May 1957 and sent to the Random House offices in New York for approval. And during this time, Seuss and his wife left for a month-long vacation to Hawaii. And Random House liked the book so much that they actually approved it and sent him a proof to approve while he was still taking his vacation. So they they wanted that Seuss money. You know, they didn't want to lose him. Right. Um, So do you have any memories of this book and how do you think it stacks up against other Christmas fiction? I'm trying to think of other, like, I want to say, I want, this isn't modern, obviously. It's the 50s, right? For us, it's like mm. it was old when we were at school. But they, I'm assuming this is like everyone gets to read this even today. Um, so right. definitely have memories of it growing up as one of the first books. I think the thing that drew me to it was that he was just this ugly green troll creature. Um, I think when you're a kid, you're more into like some kids are more into monsters like dinosaurs because they're cool, and this is kind of that kind of vibe. So I I got dr- drawn to it, but it does remind me a lot of a, like uh, that Scrooge with the with the ghost that goes back and you know he goes and sees his life or whatever. But that's totally different. Right. The, I mean, he took it a different direction, but the concept that a person that hates Christmas gets gets their heart turned around is basically the same premise right 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 and i mean that's that's interesting you'd mention that because a lot of the best known christmas stories christmas fiction start with someone who doesn't like christmas and it's about them you know coming around on it and i think i think it speaks to a lot of people because there are a lot of people who just don't like christmas or it puts them in a bad mood but they have to put up with it and so i think it's kind of like they live through the character they get to sit there and watch someone be upset i mean you even look at um modern movies and it's like well i say modern again i'm I'm referencing something in the 80s right but like um national lampoon's christmas vacation Mm. uh that's someone who who likes christmas but things are going so terribly for him and he just he has a breakdown and starts you know swearing um 
And it's interesting too that you'd, you'd mentioned that this is not a modern story. You know, it's it it was old when we were kids. Right. I will now. say though that <laughs> but, well, yeah, this book when we were like little newborn babies, this book is the equivalent of today us looking back at the first episode of South Park. Wow. So, twenty eight years ago that um south park short the spirit of christmas you know the one that kind of went viral with santa and and everything right right um that was the equivalent of the grinch coming out when we were born so babies born right now will go oh man season one of south park is old (laughs) right right and it is for sure because that's that's one of the shows that's changed so much throughout 28 years and it's crazy to think about it because the Grinch is what it is, right? It's a story. Can you imagine if he just did like a book every year of The Grinch? You think that would have been like I'm surprised they never even thought of that. Like, like the South Park, it goes on every season, right? For 35 years or whatever. Uh, the right. Grinch, not so much, right? Like he made one poet poem or one book, and then he uh, that's it, right? Outside of merchandising and movies, right? Oh, the Gr- well, yeah, the Grinch was only in, I think, one other story, and then he was in some cartoon specials and things like that, but he was not heavily utilized. Um, I was also going to mention in season two, uh, Merry Christmas, Charlie Manson from South Park, they actually did a Grinch spoof where it was um, Mr. Hankey as the Grinch. Oh, So really? things kind of come full circle there. Yeah, that's interesting. Um yeah, I, I think it, it's a really, I mean, it's a classic story now. Obviously, it's been adapted so many times, but it's definitely up there with A Christmas Carol. I think if we're looking at Christmas stories every 100 years even, like you could go Christmas Carol, Grinch, and, you know, now we're, what, 70 years out from when this came out? So what's the next big Christmas story? Um, I guess we'll, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, right. written, not not much. It's a lot of movies and TV shows now. There aren't really Christmas books that really grab people. What about um, Home Alone? Would that be considered? Well, it's a movie. Yeah, it's a movie. <laughs> but it, I guess if you took away the Christmas element, it would, could just, it would still work, right? Like, can you make a Grinch movie without the Christmas element to it? Probably not. Yeah, I mean, it's just about, it's really, it comes down to the, a holiday, right. the feelings around a holiday and how the, the, the feelings that the holiday brings to people is the important thing, not the commercialization around it. And you could apply that commercialization to most holidays, I guess, but Christmas is the big one. Um, and it was so big that actually uh, 11, oh, nine years later, in 1966, there was a TV special called How the Grinch Stole Christmas. This was directed by cartoon legend Chuck Jones. Um, And Jones and Seuss, they actually had a history together. They worked together in the past on World War II cartoons for the military at Warner Brothers. And Jones approached Seuss uh, to turn one of his books into a TV special, specifically wanting How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And Seuss was initially hesitant, but eventually agreed. And that's kind of like his M.O., like he'll be hesitant, but then agree to things. Um, And the special was produced in collaboration with MGM Studios and aired on the CBS network, uh, who were just coming off the success of A Charlie Brown Christmas the year before. And so, get this, the film was made on a $315,000 budget, which 
in today's money is two and a half million dollars, okay. which is quite a lot for an animated TV special. Yeah, for sure. And one obstacle production faced was creating a Christmas special without any of the typical elements such as religion or Santa Claus. So they wanted to add music to it, but like, what do they sing about? They can't sing about Santa coming. They can't, they can't lift any existing Christmas songs. So what they did was they created songs for the special, um, but they used nonsense Latin, mm-hmm. and they also presented new songs in strange formats like uh, square dances. Or um, or the You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch, almost comes off as like a, I don't know, almost like a jazzy kind of cool, like, right. you're a mean one, you know. Yeah. Um, and it, it worked, you know. It was a success. The special adapted the entirety of the original book text with music and animated sequences added in without dialogue to pad things out to that 30 minutes. And because networks had just switched to color by 1966, the Grinch's color was established in this TV special as green. Um, And if you might have had memories of seeing the Grinch green uh, before the TV special, which is not possible because, you know, we weren't born then. Um, But if you look at the original book, he never was green. Like, this is the original colors, and throughout the book, it's all they use is red. It's red and black throughout. Hmm. And you can see the Grinch here. And there, like, he's just, um, he's just, like, kind of shaded in a little bit, but they never indicate he's green. Uh, even the Who's, like, they don't have a color, and they're furry, too. So I think they actually just presumed they were all the same color. There was no differentiation there. In, um, in, in, the, in the cartoon, it's kind of like he's an outcast because he's also a different color. I mean, like, nobody in Who Village looks like the Grinch and everyone's right. scared of him and when you watch this thing you're like well of course he's a green outsider right so yeah I don't know I think it's I think it's uh, weird because there's that vibe that the cartoon gives that isn't in the book or expressed in the book yeah they don't they don't say he's green they just talk about you know how sour he is and this and that I love this drawing of him leaning up there oh He's like got pockets, but it's just his body. So he's like <laughs> sticking his hands into the folds of his fat. Um, but yeah, he's and I mean, I guess that green works in that case. I love the red eyes, though. I think that's really cool. You think they should have brought that back for the uh, the just him walking around with uh, red eyes? You think just completely red, no no white in there? <laughs> right. Yeah, that would have been cool. Um, but yeah, I, I have to imagine there were people who saw this special and like, oh, he's green. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, I think now he's officially green. Like, no one oh, thinks yeah. of the Grinch without thinking of him as a green character. As you right. saw the, oh, and it's... the intro video of the cameo, right? <laughs> exactly. And that actually brings us to the movie. So it actually was not until the year 2000, <gasps> so much later from uh, 1966. This is my jam right where... here. Yeah, I know, where the the story of how the Grinch stole Christmas was adapted yet again for live action uh, in a film by Ron Howard. And before his death in 1991, Seuss had refused to sell the film rights to any of his books. However, after his death, his widow agreed to several deals, including merchandise, clothing, and CDs. And in 1998, film rights were actually auctioned off, with potential filmmakers asking... 
uh, asked to pitch their ideas directly to Seuss's widow, Audrey Geisel. And if selected, filmmakers would have to pay $5 million for the material Oof. and hand over 4% of the box office gross That's as smart. well as 50% of the merchandising revenue and 70% of the income from any tie-in books. Um, which is fair because, I mean, if you've ever seen... I mean, it happens all the time, but like you'll go see uh, Lord of the Rings mm. and then you go to the bookstore and they have books based on the movie of Lord, Lord of, the of the Rings. They did the same thing. And you're like... They did the same thing. And like I, I was going to say, they did the same thing with The Witcher where yeah. they have like items based on the video game, but the guy that did the books doesn't get any of the money because it's actually based on the game, but not on his fantasy books. You know what I'm saying? That's so weird. Right? Is that See, weird? and that's... That's why I think it's it's so savvy of them to bump it up to seventy percent because right. that those books are eating into their own Grinch profit. If someone's going to the store and going, "Hey, should we get the classic How the Grinch Stole Christmas, which we can find in any library and we probably have a couple copies bumping around, or should we get that new Grinch sticker book from the movie?" Right, right. <laughs> um, at least there, seventy percent of that is going back to the author's family. Um, the craziest stipulation was that any actor playing the Grinch must be comparable to the stature of Jack Nicholson, Jim Carrey, Robin Williams, and Dustin Hoffman. Dustin and, Hoffman? Um, really? I mean, I know he's big. He was big then, but I do not... When you think of, like, outlandish actors putting on makeup... I mean, I guess he was in Dick Tracy, but, like, not in a major role. Like, he played, I think, Mumbles. Can you imagine Jack Nicholson playing? I, I actually I could see Jack Nicholson playing the Grinch. Actually, now that you say mention it, that he would with be the pretty, Joker, right? Right. I love oh, the Joker. The, um, <laughs> yeah, he had the weird lips. I just love. I love the scenes in Batman nineteen eighty nine where the Joker's completely calm, just sitting there looking pissed off, but he's like <laughs> smiling. Right. Yeah, he's like, uh huh, okay. <laughs> Can I talk to you about something? <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, of those actors, I, I think they could get all of them, except for Dustin Hoffman, who would probably say, why are you thinking of me as the Grinch? Right. Um, they also said that they would not consider a director or writer who had not earned at least $1 million on their previous picture. So, yeah, that's that's a list of demands. So do you think, looking back, that they were uh, savvy and guaranteed a better picture with those, uh, yes. with those asks, those not asks. They were demands. You I had mean, to do it. if your husband died and you're gonna sell out, uh, I think you should do it for a maximum amount to be okay and be you know not having to work as his wife or the family. Mm-hmm. Right. The idea is that right. Hollywood always screws over people. The fact that isn't the gross. Just the money that came in, not the money spent. So it's not the income, right? So they're they're getting just the revenue of the movie. So if the movie makes five hundred million dollars, they get the yeah, the 4%. percentage of that. And if if Hollywood accounting said, because I I heard that like Lord of the Rings has never made money for a studio according to their oh sure yeah to their write offs. So I guess actors assigned some deal about net income or whatever they don't get any money because technically they never made they never made any profit or something like that i was like that sounds about right with hollywood right that does accounting (laughs) so the fact that they have all these 
things in their contract, I'm fine. I'm a hundred percent okay with that. If you're gonna sell the rights to your husband's stuff, it better be worth it. I think. Especially. Absolutely, and they they definitely made money because I'm looking here one two three, so they made thir- thirteen about fourteen million dollars in the movie in the box office. The box box office was three hundred and forty five million. Okay, I believe it. Yeah. Um. So they made the Geisel Estate made fourteen million, and that's not even accounting for all the the merchandising and everything. Yeah, this movie was insane um, when it came out in merch. But it's it's smart because I know another. Um, license holder that's super strict is uh the uh charles schultz estate for peanuts Mm. and that peanuts movie that came out they stipulated i think they had a very tight leash on merchandising um they also said that there could be no sequel or like animated series it was a one and done Mm. and i thought that was really savvy because that movie's like really good if you've ever seen the the recent peanuts movie i thought it was really good i haven't seen it and i was like what why aren't they making more of these? And it's because they want to, you know, give something really good and then hold off and be like, you know what? You get your next Peanuts movie. You get your next fix in like 20 years, it, you know? It, you know, that's something that I've noticed with a lot of these more older classic authors. They're like, eh, uh-huh. I'm good. I don't want to sell out my creation. Um, like the guy mm-hmm. from Kelvin, well, Kelvin and Hobbes that's, or whatever. He never. That's the ultimate. Yeah. yeah. He's never made anything. So there's I, I don't know what it is about these people. Maybe they just feel attached to the characters they create. I right. I, I don't know. Because I, I think yeah. Kevin and Hobbes movie would probably make a lot of money, obviously. Oh, my God. And if you put it in the right hands, absolutely. It's just, I don't know. It's kind of a shame to me because no one knows about Kevin and Hobbes, but I don't blame them. Right. I mean, no one who's, who's <laughs> no one like maybe under the age of 25. Maybe. Unless they become like a meme again or something, right? Right. But like they just know him as the kid peeing on the back of the truck, and even that's unofficial. Um, Anyway, uh, so back to the movie. So before making their final decision, potential suitors included 20th Century Fox, who pitched Jack Nicholson himself playing the Grinch. Additionally, the Farrelly brothers, as well as John Hughes, pitched their own versions Universal Pictures, meanwhile, held their pitch presentation with producer Brian Grazer in attendance, but Geisel refused every author or every offer. And it was Brian Grazer who talked to director Ron Howard, and he suggested he travel to Geisel's residence for the pitch meeting. Uh, Ron Howard studied the book and became interested in the character Cindy Lou Who, who's the little girl who, you know, yeah. the Grinch like pats on the head and sends her on her way. Um, and pitched a film in which she would have a larger role as well as materialistic representation of the Who's and an expanded backstory for the Grinch. And Geisel accepted the pitch, and Universal Pictures won the bid. In October 16, 1998, it was announced that Ron Howard would direct and co-produce the live-action adaptation with Jim Carrey attached to Star. It was also reported that Universal paid a bit more um, then the $5 million, they actually paid $9 million to also acquire the rights to Oh, the Places You'll Go. Um, however, that adaptation has yet to happen, to, not, to my knowledge, which is interesting because I don't know if you know that book, but that's the book I think they give every graduate. Like you graduate from, from college or high school. Oh, uh, yes, yes. And that's like the book people will buy and give you. Um, the screenwriters of Who Framed Roger Rabbit fame turned in a screenplay, but Geisel had veto power over the script. 
she objected to many jokes and sexual references. All right. Um, as well as, and this is bad, the appearance of a Jewish family called the Husteins. Oh, God. Like, which, for starters, goes against the whole thing where it's like we're not trying to have any religious representation. It's just right. Christmas with trees and stuff. Um, as well as a mounted head of the cat in the hat in the Grinch's house, mm. which is grim. Right. Um, also, th- three writers from Seinfeld did uncredited rewrites to the finished script. That kind of surprised me. Um, the film was shot between September 1999 and January 2000 with a majority of the Whoville set built behind the Bates Motel set for Psycho on the Universal lot. Um, Perfect. The film's makeup was done by industry legend Rick Baker, and the Grinch is a full-body costume that was covered in yak hair dyed green and sewed into a spandex suit. Uh, the makeup and suit took two and a half hours a day to apply, with which frustrated Carrie so much that he, after having it be applied, kicked a hole in the wall of a tr- his trailer. Um, the makeup artist recounted that on set, Carrie was very mean to everybody at the beginning of production, and after two weeks of filming, they could only finish three days' worth of shooting because Jim Carrey would keep disappearing in the suit and come back with pieces of it ripped apart because he was, like, getting his anger out. Uh, the makeup artist actually left the production until Carrie's anger could be kept in check, and after uh, Jim agreed, the makeup artist returned um, and... From then on, Jim spent a total of 92 days accumulatively in the Grinch makeup, which is insane. (laughs) That's three months. Um, The rest of the cast, meanwhile, all had some level of facial prosthetic. And I actually have a a video here. We don't need to play the audio, but you can just click through it. It just shows some behind-the-scenes footage of him getting the makeup applied. Jim Carrey's suit was Um, made of yak hair. Also, interestingly, I don't think it's shown here, but a lot of the Who's were CG doubles in the larger shots. Oh, really? Yeah, so they, um, I mean, they went all out for Jim, but for the, the people who live in Whoville, they would either hire actors who just had, like, kind of high noses, or they would apply little prosthetics to their ears, noses, um, and... I knew that the, the, the faces, like, the noses were prosthetic just seeing the movie, it's ob- you know, but... Oh, for sure. I didn't know there were CGI background characters. Yeah, yeah, they would do these these big crowd shots, and they would just have a library of who's with different costumes and body parts that would populate the background. Um, this, this video also talks about how they had cartoonists... Uh, doing the storyboards so that they would be a little more outlandish and that there are 600 CG shots in the film. Uh, it's just, it's insane. I mean, if when you see this movie, you can tell that it they went all out in terms of... I will say, though, they did a good job blending the background CGI characters to not be able to notice because... I watch movies now where I'm like, oh, that's CGI in the background, all those characters. Like, they just stand out. I don't know how they did it on this movie, but when you look at this, the panning shot of them, you know, showing the whole Whoville, I, I, I don't know. It's, to me, it's, I never noticed it was C, there were CGI. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So, I mean, just in terms of, like, production design, it's, it's a fascinating movie. It's well worth a watch. 
um, just for that alone. And regarding like Jim Carrey going a little crazy on set, so between this and his Andy Kaufman film, which has a fantastic documentary on, I think Netflix has it, um, Jim Carrey has had a lot of crazy behind-the-scenes stories. Um, so were you a fan of 90s Jim Carrey, and how do you think he compares to the Jim Carrey of 2022? Well, yeah, as a kid, right, you... Uh he liked his movies, The Mask, um, what is there, uh, Ace Ventura. I, I really liked Ace Ventura. I have a lot of fond memories of the movie. Um, Dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber. My cousins were all into Ace Ventura and Dumb and Dumber. I think those are probably the two mo- uh, most replayed movies that I watched. And they, they Can you name what year each of those films came out? I think Dumb and Dumber came out in 93 or 94. Ace Ventura 95, 96, I want to say, but maybe I'm backwards on those. I think he actually made Ace Ventura first, and it was his starting. I'm going to blow your mind. Go. Dumb and Dumber, Ace Ventura, and The Mask all came out in 1994. Really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> this so he guy had, was he busy. Had three, three movies in one year like that. His, like, his biggest career-defining hits in one year, and he's still playing The Grinch in 2000 and Dr. Eggman. Right. In the late, in the early two twenty twenties, right. like it's his prolific. It's insane. It's a prolific. Uh, it's a prolific uh, like movie filmography. Like for a guy that was supposed to be yeah. a stand up comic, right? He, I don't think he. No one's going to remember him as a stand up comic at all. Uh, people are going to remember him as the entertainer of movies and actor. Absolutely. I mean, he was on In Living Color. I remember the firefighter he would play that was all like burned up right. and had no lips. Right. Um, but yeah, he. I mean, '90s Jim Carrey sounded really difficult to work with. High strung, high stress, a um, lot of energy, and it honestly. And I mean, knock on wood, it surprises me he's still with us and around because I feel like so many actors like that fizzle out and and, and die. I hate right. to say that, but like no, it's right. Robin right. Williams, Chris Farley, right. so many greats who are so over animated and, and people just love. And it's such a gift that Jim Carrey is still with us. And the fact that he's, and I mean, I've got the, the poster behind me that right. he is now playing a major part in Sega history, playing like one of the most beloved Sonic characters outside of Sonic the Hedgehog. But I think what, what really changed him, you mentioned he, he's had a kid, um, I believe his his spouse or partner um, uh, committed suicide, which really affected him. Um, and he just became a lot more introspective and almost calm. He like does paintings now, so yeah. it's it's interesting to see how much he's changed. Um, I I watched those behind the scenes clips of him in the Sonic movies, and he just seems so much more chill and likable. You know. Right. I, I do wonder, like, so. people that work with him, but so far, I mean, everybody's been positive, but he has changed. I could, uh, he was super high strung, you're right. And um, his role as Eggman, now I think it makes sense where he wouldn't want to do prosthetics. Um, but uh, I don't know. I think it's interesting that in Eggman, he, like, he has no prosthetics in his face at all in any of the shots. Just a fake mustache, right. yeah, and a little makeup around the eyes. I, I wonder if that was part of his contract, where he's like, "I'm not doing makeup at all. You either CGI me or it's me." But I have a feeling that the studio wanted him, right? 
And it's interesting you bring that up, too, because in the first movie, he hardly had anything. It was the little mustache and hair. It was his hair. Right. And maybe they were afraid to approach him and say, hey, we want to put a bald cap on you, big mustache, super big belly, because they probably knew industry stories where he was really against makeup. Um, But who knows? Like, I I think after Sonic 2, hopefully he comes back for Sonic 3. I think he will. Um, hopefully he has like a, a belly, like a little Eggman belly. I think that'd be cool. And that's not makeup. That's just part of the costume. So I think Correct. he could do it. Um, my belly is not makeup, unfortunately, or, or a costume. It's CGI. Um, it's, CGI. <laughs> it's CGI, exactly. Um, so despite earning mixed reviews on release, uh, the film saw Jim Carrey's performance praised, and it spent four weeks at number one in the United States, making it the sixth highest grossing film of 2000 and the second highest grossing holiday film of all time behind home alone that is until both home alone and the 2000 grinch movie was surpassed in 2018 by the cg animated grinch movie i <laughs> so. have never seen the cgi grinch movie and i didn't know it was that popular when it, that it came out that it was more popular than this movie because i do me too but i guess it was an illumination movie and you know those always make an insane amount of money even though like people our age don't see them like uh, secret life of pets minions i've seen the new minions movie it was all right i mean I, I, it was you know i mean but they're doing mario they're doing mario so. yeah and another thing that i think a lot of people owe the sonic movie is the fact that like i don't think there would be a high budget fully animated movie mario movie without the Sonic movie doing good numbers, right? Absolutely. And you know, on the Segabits Discord, which you can check out, you go to segabits.com, click that little Discord button, you can join a little typing chat with us. Um, people were, I, I brought that up. I said, I, I really think without the Sonic movie, we wouldn't have had a Mario movie, or a new Mario movie. I don't think it would have come back and they would have tried again. But um, I, I honestly think, I know in 2015, 15, the Sonic movie was like public public knowledge and in 2016 Miyamoto started working with Illumination to make something like he started talking to them so I honestly think they they heard through the grapevine that Sega was going to make a Sonic movie and I think once the first Sonic movie came out they were like alright let's green light this and get it going fast track right. but obviously animation takes longer um, so maybe yeah, I, I was going to say, I, yeah. maybe the only other movie that I could think of that was a video game movie that did pretty good numbers, too, was that Detective Pikachu movie. But I feel like it kind of underperformed, considering how popular Pokemon is. I think that movie should have been d- right. making mega bucks. I just feel like, I, I just see a bunch of kids, like my cousin's nephews, and they all know Sonic because of the new movie. So there is definitely a new generation of fans just because of that movie, and I think it's going to be the same for Mario. So good on them, I think. Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah, yeah, and the the good thing is Mario's completely animated, so it doesn't technically follow the same categories. No. I, I, outside of, I guess, video game movie. So, so we'll see. I was going to ask you about this 2018 movie. Have you seen the CGI 2018 animated movie yet? I didn't. I was going to watch it before we recorded, but I didn't want it like in my head because I wanted to kind of live the Grinchy life up to the video game and mm. just have that in my head and not have... Um, Benedict Cumberbatch's take oh, on the Grinch. They, they got Doctor Strange to do the, the Grinch. That's the yeah, last yeah. person I would think of as the Grinch. It is so weird because it's like him going, 
Max, let's get out of here. And you're like, that's not a British guy. Right. <laughs> like, they hire a guy with a very distinct British voice, and he doesn't even sound like Doctor Strange. He just sounds like some dude. Mm. Um, it's weird, cast. But but what what's really strange um, is that he's just kind of like up there, and then he comes down from his mountain and is just walking around. No one's like surprised by him. He's not a terror. He's just like a grumpy guy. And it's I, weird. And do they also use the backstory that they use in the Jim Carrey movie in the CGI movie? Or is the CGI movie I, more based on its own thing? There is some backstory there, I think, but I didn't I didn't look into it. I think after, like this week, probably I'll throw it on and check it out. Yeah, um, I'll probably watch it this week. But yeah, it, I, I just didn't want too much Grinch canon yeah. in my head. Um... So, yeah, uh, oh, the movie, the 2000 movie did win the Academy Award for Best Makeup, and it was nominated for Best Art Direction and Best Costume Design. So, um, how would you say the movie compared to the TV special and book? Well, definitely it added a lot more, um, definitely a lot more work. I think they did a lot more of the fleshing out of the world. I do think that... Uh, Dr. Seuss made simplistic stories that he wasn't thinking of. Wait, what? What is? What? Where would this girl's dad work at? You know, or right. or the little intricacies. And I think they read the book enough, and they they kind of you know when you when you're a kid and you would read one of those simple stories, and you and your friends would talk about, hey, you know, it would be cool if this happened, and they kind of did you know that, and it fit pretty good with the world that they made in the original. So. I actually think that all, so far, what I've seen The Grinch has been pretty good. I don't think I've seen something from The Grinch where I'm like, ugh, why did they make this? <laughs> Except for the video games, of course, sorry. <laughs> oh, no. Um, yeah, it's interesting because in the book, there's only two pages in a row where they really show the Who's celebrating right. Christmas. And they just kind of, like, they have a lot, the kids have a lot of toys and make a lot of noise. And then the next one, they're all enjoying a meal together. So the book does not really have any of that heavy commercialization. It doesn't show anything where the Who's are like, we need to have trees and we need to have all these things. I think the realization at the end with the Grinch is that they never truly cared about all the stuff that he's going to throw off Mount Crumpet. Um, it's that he, he, he was wrong. The Grinch watching them from afar saw them celebrating with all these things, thought all of those things are what brings them joy, and when he took them away, he realized it was just the season and the idea of Christmas that made them happy. This never was factoring into the equation for them. Whereas in the movie, it's very clearly from the beginning, the Who's are like obsessed with the the things of Christmas, and everyone needs to have everything, and have crazy decorations, and the most presents, and be the best at everything. And it's strange because basically the Who's are almost, they're not villains, but they're like, they're clearly in the wrong. Mm. Um, and they did not learn any lesson until the Grinch stole everything. And then they are like, they have to stop and look inward. And that's not in the book. There's no moment where the Who's look around and they're like, where's our stuff? Wait, the Grinch did this, and then someone has to jump in and go, "No, no, no! Listen, the, I'm glad the Grinch did this," which happens in the movie, but in the book, it's just kind of like that doesn't exist. And for me, that always kind of bothered me with the movie, where the Who's were like super obsessed with the commercialization of it. But I get that it really it helps 
uh, flesh out the movie more. It does add an added layer to the the story because there is, I guess, there is a, a lesson of commercialization in the original book, but it's not so overt. Mm. Um, I, I think the flashbacks are a little lame with the little kid, right? Um, the little kid Grinch. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, the, yeah. Though, I forgot about that. That's like the worst part of the movie. You're right. <laughs> I forgot about the little kid Grinch. Right, where he's like. Um, I I just and, and they're like he shaves right, and he's got yeah. like cuts all over. Yeah, I it's forgot just about that. I don't know the the mayor of Whoville is just like such a jerk in the book, and I don't know, like he's a little too over the top evil. Um, like yeah, so, but I I didn't put it in the notes, but actually the the kid who played um the the child Grinch actually had like a a, a, a growth disorder, so he was. He looked younger and was smaller than he actually was, and he played a child on a soap opera, and there was an episode of the soap opera where they were writing him off the show, and he died, like, on the show, and in real life, he died that day that that show, that episode went out. Do you think they killed him? (laughs) No, he had, had, I think he had complications after a surgery, but it's just kind of sad now watching it, thinking, man, the, the little... Grinch Boy is gone. I was um, gonna say Jim Carrey's movie, The Mask. There was a baby version mm-hmm. of The Mask. The Grinch had That's a baby right. version of The Grinch. How about Sonic Three? There's a flashback where it's Baby Eggman. Well, there was a Dumb and Dumber prequel. Oh yeah, was there? But were they babies? Yeah. Or? No, they were like teenagers. Right. But in any case, um. But, but talking about that merchandising, so let's take a look. I have a picture of the action figure line from Playmates, who are best known for uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, Poor kid, they got look these at this. and not Ninja Turtles. But <laughs> what I find so odd is the movie, so as mentioned, merchandising deal was inked between Universal Pictures and the Dr. Seuss estate. And, you know, like, did they merchandise the movie? Does a who like who hash, George? I like um, how it's about anti-commercialization, and here we are looking at the act- cool action figures. That's what bothers me the most, is the movie was so overt on the commercialization, how bad it is of Christmas, but then they m- commercialized the shit out of this movie when it when it came to like action figures, plush dolls, books... And the problem is, is that the Grinch in and of itself is not a super exciting product. Like, kids aren't going, oh, I want the Grinch action figure line. I want the mayor. I want the, the I want that woman that he stuck his head in, head in her cleavage. Best part of the movie. Um, what, that I want the weird, man. creepy monkey face oh, yeah. mask he wears when he walks around. Or the dog um, on the sled. Right, on, but. On the bike. But because of that, they kind of basically ensured that all of these things would be seen for years and years in bargain bins and like oh, yeah. discount stores, and it just kind of hurts the the movie in, in my eyes. Just because the 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 di- designs themselves don't really translate all that well to like merchandise, mm-hmm. so it's just a bunch of really ugly, nasty looking little products right um Nine green they yeah. released everything from action figures to ornaments dolls sticker books die cast cars is insane so but in my opinion i think the bigger product would be like a plush doll that when you squeeze he says uh jim carrey lines from the movie like i could mm-hmm. see that being popular to give to a kid but i don't know these action fi- like like you said who wants 
the girl that had a five second scene where her breath where she gets sexually assaulted. Like that's not something I want to give my kid usually. So, right. Like everyone's gonna right. buy the Grinch. They're not gonna buy the girl or the mayor. Like you said, it's it's ridiculous. It's it it is ridiculous. Um, but they also made a Grinch video game, which uh, here we are almost an hour into this episode. We're finally talking about, and don't worry, this won't be a two-hour episode, because the video game, I mean, we'll, we'll get into it now. So simply titled The Grinch, the video game released on several platforms, including the PlayStation on November 10th, 2000, the Dreamcast on November 22nd, that same year, the Game Boy Color on November 24th, and then a PC port of the... Um, PlayStation version and Dreamcast version on December 4th, uh, as well as a, as was the norm back then, the PlayStation version was the main version of the game with the Dreamcast and PC uh, basically receiving a port. So, I mean, think of it as, I guess, kind of like Sonic Frontiers now where they have to kind of dial the game's graphics back for the the, the bigger versions. Right. Yeah, just so the Switch. But in this case, it was like even... The Dreamcast, they couldn't do a huge graphical bump because then at that point they're making two games. So they would just make a really kind of low-quality PlayStation 1 game and then port it over that same month. You know, right. it wasn't like you were waiting years and you'd get something. And um, this was, you know, well, yeah. But yeah, good Yeah, ahead. yeah. Well, the game, it, it had low-resolution textures, very blocky graphics. Um, but if you were playing it on the Dreamcast, you would get... Uh, you know, like slightly crisper visuals, a solid frame rate. So uh, what are your memories of the Dreamcast era and the many instances of receiving Nintendo 64 or PlayStation ports? Okay, so mine, I actually really did like these ports uh, if it was a really good game because I could go to school and be like, oh, Tony Hawk, yeah, I played on Dreamcast with better graphics. Yeah, that that Mm -hmm. pixelated garbage, get it out of my face. Better load times, yeah, the Dreamcast. Like, Tony Hawk 1 and 2 on Dreamcast were awesome. I, it was probably one of my most played games on Dreamcast. I also played it on PlayStation, but it just looks so much nicer. Some of them did look so much nicer that it was, like, not really worth playing the PlayStation version at the t- at that point. Like, uh, Soul right. Reaver, uh, Legacy of Kane Soul Reaver, uh, Rayman 2, uh, the Tony Hawk games. Those were great. The Grinch, not as great, obviously, as a port. Like they, I feel like they went a little more above and beyond in those other games. Like, just the textures on the skateboards of Tony Hawk were way more clear right. than they were pixelated on the PlayStation One. The N sixty four was pretty good. I played that version of it, but they censored every yeah. track, and the music was low quality compared to the Dreamcast's CD quality sound. So, yeah, I like it. Yeah, I. I... I'd have to agree with you there. You know, the follow-up question was, would you have preferred they didn't even make ports like this because it would, like, kind of drag down what people would suspect the Dreamcast is capable of? Like, they look... Like, a casual buyer might look at at the Grinch or even Tony Hawk running and go, oh, it looks like a PlayStation game. But to be quite honest, like, I agree with you there. Like, if it's a good game, I... I have no problem. Like, it still plays really well. And right. in, in several cases, the Dream... In every case, right. I think the Dreamcast version's better. It has uh, superior sound, superior graphics. You can ex- export it into VGA. Even now, in modern era, like, it's so much easier to play the Dreamcast version. You just burn it to a disc or... Right. right or play it. You know, it's just... It's 
it's better than uh, popping in an N64 cartridge or trying to emulate that. And um, you could there, you could download mm-hmm. save files, which is ridiculously cool if you just wanted to get to a certain oh, level. Absolutely, and you know, I'm I'm actually I'm on RacketBoy.com right now, and they have I don't know the exact count, but there's an excellent article. It's called Dreamcast Games That Have Ports on Other Systems, and I've never seen this before. I just looked it up. It is a comprehensive list of every single Dreamcast game that you can find on another platform. So it has PS1, PS2, PC, N64, and you just do your you know computer control F to find things. It looks here, there's almost 50 PlayStation 1 games that were ported to the Dreamcast. And I, I honestly love it because I'm looking at this list and there's so many games that I... I think it's just it's it's great that you can play a crisper, better version. Like um, even games that aren't well liked, like uh, Jedi Power Battles, which was a, a hack and slash uh, Phantom Menace game. Right. I, I believe that was the only one to have like Mace Windu as a playable character. Ooh. So there's little bonuses. Um, you mentioned Rayman Two. That one had uh, superior graphics, obviously, but also VMU mini games mm. or. or Mini games unlocked online that you would play within the game, but you'd save the file to your VMU. Um, just other notable ones you mentioned: uh, Tony Hawk. There's also Spider Man. Oh yeah. Um, and then there's a lot of licensed ones: 102 Dalmatians. There's Toy Story games, uh, but there's also JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, right. uh, King of Fighters '99, Legacy of Kane, Soul Reaver. That was a. Yeah. Uh, and then smaller ones like Mr. Driller. Um, so it's honestly, it, it was kind of a gift because you'd get all these games and you're like, oh, I don't need to own a PlayStation or I can put my PlayStation away because I can finally play 102 Dalmatians on my Dreamcast, you know? And then, the, and then um, there was like Quake 3, which was a port from a PC game. It was smaller, like right. the levels were smaller, but they had their own like community where people would make maps or you could download maps on your Dreamcast, which is. At the time, was pretty much as close as a, as a PC that you would get without spending thousand plus dollars. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, there were and there were a lot of great PC games too. Um, uh, ones that come to mind, there was. I mean, they're not great, great, but like the fact that you can play it on PC and nowhere else except for the Dreamcast was like incoming. Um, there was another one that used. Uh, I, I, it starts with B, I think. I'm trying to um, bang gunship elite. Mm, yeah. I think it was. Uh, there was one called Balder Force Exe, which I've never heard of. It's here, but in any case, um, it's cool. You know, I, I I have no problem with it. I don't think it hurt the console at all. I think it helped it. If anything, it was a nice transitional console. I'm sure there were kids going, "Oh man, I was going to get Tony Hawk on PS1, but I'll get the new Dreamcast. That looks awesome." It's um, it's kind of like when the 360 had got a bunch of the uh, PlayStation games at the time, right? In a way, like. I think if they right. brought over the Final Fantasy games, it would have been even bigger for uh, Sega. Even though I think you know graphically, they're you know, I mean, Shimmy looked a lot better. Just saying, I'm sorry, Square Enix fans. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, so going back to talking about the video games, before we talk about the Dreamcast version, oh. it's worth pointing out. Um, that the developer for the console version was Artificial Mind and Movement. So we'll talk more about them soon, but 
The Game Boy Color version was actually developed by Konami Computer Entertainment Nagoya, also called KCE Nagoya. And uh, believe it or not, this version was actually voted as the runner-up for the best action game of 2000 in IGN's Best of 2002 awards for the Game Boy Color. Wow. Um, So with that in mind, let's take a quick look at a clip of the game running. On a Game Boy Color. I'm this looking, is a. I, po- I posted it and it's, uh, it looks like a Game Boy Color game. Like you go around stealing Christmas presents and not get caught. It's pretty simple, I think. Yeah. This is typical game on Game Boy, right? Like this style of game. I guess. I mean, people liked it though. It was kind of surprising that it like made a list like that. But I guess. I guess what it does is it kind of gives you a little stealthy game, which right. is not... It's it's one of those situations where because the platform is lacking in this type of game, when people get it, they get super excited. Like, um, I remember when Chicken Run came out for the Dreamcast, people were like, well, it's a licensed game, it's a little silly, but it plays like Metal Gear Solid. We don't have Metal Gear Solid on the Dreamcast, so oh we have Chicken God. Run. <laughs> yeah, Chicken Run. <laughs> Story-wise, yeah. Metal Gear Solid, Chicken Run... Which one's big, better? I don't know. You tell me. Chicken Run, maybe. Um, so are, are you hitting eBay as we speak looking for the Game Boy Color version? I want it complete <laughs> so I can have it in my Grinch shrine. I have a little shrine for my Grinch, Grinch stuff. shelf. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, if you want cartridge only, it's five bucks. Complete's going to cost you quite a bit more, but five bucks for cartridge. Not bad. Isn't it funny that um, cardboard is worth more mm-hmm. than the actual game for people now? It's insane. So silly. Uh... So the art direction for the games, which also applies to the bulk of the merchandise, is unique in that it is not based on the Dr. Seuss art, but rather an illustrated take on the live-action look of the Grinch character as well as the supporting cast. And ironically, the game's cover art featuring the Grinch, which I'm I'm holding up right here, you can see it, Um, he's wearing sunglasses, which seems very inspired by Jack Nicholson, who, as we mentioned was initially floated as an actor for the role. What do you think of that? It, it's very Jack Nicholson, isn't it? 100% Jack Nicholson. The eyebrows... Uh, it's so and, weird. Yeah, you're right. It is very Jack Nicholson. And I wish they would have made it look like the the actual like story. Yeah, like that. I think it would have been interesting to play like a cel-shaded version of it. Um, instead oh, absolutely. Instead of this 3D look they were going for. Um, but... You know, it was a tie-in. It was a it was a cash grab, right? Game. Even. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we looked at that Game Boy Color footage, and it was a lot better. It was like an anime take on the Grinch movie mm-hmm. design, but with a little more leaning towards the book. So, I mean, they did have different art styles out there for the merchandise, but um, they really did lean on, as you see on the cover here, like this look for the two D Grinch stuff and. I always thought that was strange when that would happen, when a, a animated or, or illustrated thing um, was adapted into live action, and then when they made the 2D renders for merchandise, they would base it off the movie so specifically that it looked almost like uncanny, valley, ugly. Um, most notably was the Sonic movie, the original design, and we would look at merchandise leaks and be like, oh my god, that looks so bad. Oh yeah. You know? And I think they were smart to bring um, Tyson Hess on because he 
came from a 2D background, obviously. So when he would do 2D versions of the 3D characters, he would cheat a little bit, you know? Like, he doesn't need to make it look exactly like a, a CG render in 2D. Um, but if you look at the, uh, I think, the poster books, they did have artists doing that, and it looked off. It looked weird. So, yeah, I, I'd agree with you. I, I wish it was, like, a game that looked 100% Dr. Seuss book come to life, but... You know, it was an adaptation. But we, we have game footage here now, um, and we can just have that play for the rest of the time that we're chit-chatting. This comes... Horrible mocap, by Curtis. the way. Oh, the mocap? Right, for the game. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's... Yeah, don't don't get too excited. It's, it's, it's kind of weird. But as evidence, you know, you're looking at that footage... It's another take on the Grinch. It's clearly not this art style come to life, like the weird cover art. It's like a video game developer's take on the li- on the on the live action. So it's yeah, it's a little messy. But so as mentioned, the Grinch video game initially released to the PlayStation and the Dreamcast port came that same month. So while the Dreamcast version does not see a huge uptick in graphics, the game is much more crisp has a more solid frame rate, and from what I have heard online, the audio is greatly improved. The genre of the game is 3D action in an open-world environment. Players play as the Grinch, and their goal is to undo the Who's holiday preparations. The problem is that the blueprints for all your inventions blew away, and now you need to collect the documents in order to rebuild your machinery. The game features uh, four environments, Whoville, Who Forest, The Dumps, and Who Lake, and in addition to collecting your missing blueprints, you're also encouraged to uh, ruin the Who's holiday fun with unique missions for each area. So, for example, in the dump, you can short-circuit the electrical system or put poison gas into the mayor's oh house. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, in total, the game features 24 missions, 3,000 presents to destroy, and 68 blueprint pieces to collect. You play as both the Grinch and his dog, Max, which are swapped between the D-pad and each character has their own moves. The Grinch can breathe his awful breath and utilize a collection of gadgets. So on paper, this game sounds like Sonic Frontiers, doesn't it? You have four islands. Of course. Um, open world, all these different collectibles. Do you think Do you think that uh, Sonic Team was cop- played this game and were like, oh my god, why didn't we 100%. think of this? You know what it was? Here's my theory, my video game theory. I think Azuka, during the development of the first Sonic movie, they were like, Azuka-san, he goes, yes. And they say, we have an uh, actor for Dr. Eggman. They call him Robotnik in America. He goes, I'm aware of this. Show me his footage. And they show footage. And he goes, stop, stop, stop. What is that? You know what I mean? And there we go. That, that's the Grinch. The, the Grinch. He goes, Grinch-san. Mm, and he strokes his chin. And he probably went into the Sega archives. And he goes, what's this? And they go, that's the Grinch for the Dreamcast. He's like... He he shared a console with the best Sonic game, Sonic Two, and they're like, yes. And he played it, and he goes, he goes, this is, this is our next game, and that's when development started on Frontiers. Nice. Is that true? It is no, now, right? No, no okay. <laughs> it is now. It's my. You know how people are like they they're told canon, and they go, oh well, my head canon trumps that because it's in my head. So for me, I that's my truth canon. Like, you tell me, Barry, that's not the truth. I go, but in my head it is. Um, 
So anyway, so when it comes to licensed games, what sort of genre do you like to play? Do you like platformers, which seems to be like the go-to, or do you like it when they mix things up and go a completely different direction? So when I was a kid, I used to mostly just play the platformer ones, like the Tiny Toons Adventure, those type of games. I was really into them. Um, mm-hmm. I, and I and I think that's basically it. Now, I play like wannabe Mar- like any game like kart racing games seem to be the popular one right now. I've noticed on Steam, they have a Gar- Garfield mm-hmm. one and a bunch of other ones. Um, but I, I can't really think of myself getting excited for a uh, licensed game. I have been playing recently the uh, Star Wars: The Fallen uh, Order, the the one that oh, copies that's great. It's a really good game, but that one's like also like I would consider that like triple A. <laughs> like um, it's still a tie. It's still a licensed game, right? Like they're copying other games. That's kind of like the 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 quintessential thing about a uh, licensed game. They're copying other games and putting their gameplay stuff together into one package based on a license. So that Star Wars uh-huh. one is like I think the potential, a high potential of what a licensed game can be, and the Grinch is the low potential of what a licensed game could be. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. I hear that, and you know, copy? Star Wars, Star Wars themselves fell fell into that trap. There were in this era a ton of Star Wars games coming out. You know, there would be a Star Wars game um, coming out. You know. Uh, multiple a year you get five or ten a year you know so it's not like um star wars didn't fall into that trap too and star wars had a lot um, of bad games like license like they they were pumping out games as much as they could right during especially during when oh. we grew up right phantom menace alone i think had like four or five games come out just for that movie alone um and I'd, I'd say one of one or two of them were really good, but <laughs> there were some really bad ones too. For me, I prefer the platformer just because it's such an easy way to get the players to like play as the main character and get the plot going. I do appreciate when they try something different, um, like Chicken Run, for example. It it takes Metal Gear Solid, uh, but it makes sense because the movie's about a prison breakout. So I, I think that's cool. Um, I honestly think it's really fun when they take uh, gameplay from mature games and then apply it to a kid license. So there are kids who, you know, they can't play Metal Gear Solid, but they can play Chicken Run. And then when they grow up, they're like, all right, let me check out this Metal Gear Solid game that people said Chicken Run was based on. You know, like it creates fans. (laughs) Um, um, I also like racers. I'm a big fan of mascot racers for licenses. I have, uh, I think I have like every one for the Dreamcast. Like if they announce them, I will buy them. And it's funny because um, in the in the back of the manual for the Grinch, look at this. There's Woody Woodpecker Racing coming soon. It never came out. It never never came out. No, it was um, announced but but canceled, and it was actually. It's it is on PlayStation, so you can check that out. But it was developed by a company called Cyrox Games, which actually merged into Climax Games. And looking at their uh, gameography, they did uh, Master System and Game Gear uh, games, uh, Disney games. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that um, 
What was the game you were just the the climax game? Which one was it? Uh, climax is what they were merged into. Right. But what's the game they, they made? He can hang on to ledges and swing around a what what game did they make? Right. Climax. Yeah. That you were just talking. About. Um. They they did. They did a ton of unreleased games. They did Austin Powers Mojo Rally for Dreamcast, mm. never released. Roswell Conspiracies, never released. Stunt Driver, wow, unreleased. And title title defense. They also did the Muppets on the Go for Pico, uh, Wonder Boy and Monsterland for the Amiga. They actually did all of the ports for Wonder Boy and Monsterland to other platforms. Um, I will say that uh, they did the Shadow Dancer. Wow, port. Yeah, go on. I was gonna say that uh, Woody Woodpecker, I think, is a underutilized character like the fact that he was almost gonna get his game randomly like i remember him as a kid because he was the you know he just did the whole like and he hit the little the wood and stuff and i always remember it vividly as a character but like he was never used or was ever popular it was kind of like i guess felix or uh, other characters where they had their little era of a cartoon short and then never really utilized again so that that the fact that they were thinking about making a Woody Woodpecker uh, kart racing game in the early two thousands is weird, but then we got yeah, kind of Barbera and, stuff too. So right, and you mentioned Woody Woodpecker. He was they had a movie in twenty eighteen, but it was only released in Brazil. Oh. It was a Brazilian made licensed movie. You think so. he's popular in Brazil? Probably not that popular. The movie only made five million dollars oh, um, after budget. When you remove the budget, so um, which is uh, in today's money, Up. double the amount of the Grinch TV special budget. So that's not much, right? Um, right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so the the game, as I mentioned, it takes a rather open approach to how players progress. Which can be exciting to some, but also frustrating and overwhelming to others. As mentioned, there are a lot of different little things you can do in each map, but there's no real direction on how to accomplish goals, which means you need to think creatively in order to progress. And I know I was joking earlier with the Sonic Frontiers comparison, um, but you can't help think about that game in this game and how, on paper, they both have a similar concept, what one succeeds over the other. So, you know, like... For example, Sonic Frontiers, you, you bring the little um, memory tokens to Knuckles, and then you do a minigame. But imagine if the minigame just kind of existed out there with no instructions, and you were like, oh, I need to, like, loop the wisps and, and herd them into a... What am I doing? And in the Grinch, they kind of do that, too. Like, there's elements of the map that you can interact with, but it's not really made clear you can or what you're supposed to do. Um... So, you know, like, I mean, what do you think they could have done to make this game more approachable? For me, I think just more text boxes, more instruction, you know? Instruction, maybe uh, having the, uh, what do they call it? The uh, They could have taken the crazy taxi uh, arrow, making you go certain spots. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then get sued by Sega, of course. But um, Like a Grinch hand. Or, yeah. yeah, like a Grinch hand. Or they could have highlighted things where you're supposed to go on the map the way that uh, uh, Sonic does in Fortress. I mean, obvious about uh, Frontiers. I know that that's now modern game design. And back then, that all the idea of tracking stuff in an open world wasn't even created. Like, the, right. the way that Assassin's, Assassin's Creed and the way that uh, Sonic does it, Fr uh, Frontiers does it. 
So mm -hmm. I could see why obviously they didn't do it, but it would have really helped this game be easier to <laughs> yeah. uh, manage. Absolutely. And I mean, nowadays, 2022, uh, licensed platformers, especially open world ones, are rarely seen. Games like Disney Infinity and Lego Dimensions um, brought together several franchises that would otherwise not have video games in this era and gave them open-world platforming settings with levels and DLC within a larger game. Um, however, I don't think you would see a game like The Grinch nowadays, mm. and it really seems like as we shifted into the PS3, 360, Wii U era, mm -hmm. developers moved away from making licensed games for anything that released um, and really just focused on superheroes and very, very well-known established franchises, and then like giving Lego games to... Uh, to Harry Potter or um, Star Wars, you know, like sure they get their bigger epic games, but there was a very long stretch where Harry Potter was only a Lego game after some very successful PS1 and PS2 um, games featuring that weren't Lego from EA. I, so I, I think it's also good that EA, for some reason, decided that it's profitable to make single player games again. Because for a while right. they only wanted to make multiplayer games where they could charge you DLC for you know costumes and that's it. And uh, right. I think that 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 Jedi Fallen Order that we just talked about has changed things for EA because they're making a sequel to it and they're doing a really high budget Harry Potter game that's supposed to be coming out sometime. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how that works. But I <laughs> yeah yeah because I remember some of the licensed games they used to make EA. Remember these those old uh, Lord of the Ring games on PS2. Yeah, you know, like there was a time when th that that box art from that era, they had this little like swoop at the bottom with like a little EA medallion. Like it was exciting to see that because you're like, okay, so this is going to be like a licensed game. It's going to be like the other licensed games I've played from them, but it's going to be solid. It's going to tell the film story, but give me new, new, you know, areas to explore. Um, I really liked how they would like in the case of the Harry Potter games, you could just explore the castle, but it was the same layout in every game, but there would be new rooms that unlocked and, like, new story points, um, new characters. Like, it it really felt like you were growing up within the Harry Potter universe with each game. Um, but I, I guess what I'm getting at here with the Grinch is that it would be very easy to sit here and shit all over the Grinch, which, you know, after watching the movie, I don't know, he might enjoy it. like, oh, I hope someone shit on me. Because he's, like, eating glass and stuff. I'm like, I, I didn't even put that in the notes, but it's like, the movie, all of a sudden, is like, oh, the Grinch loves, like, drinking pee and, like, eating glass. Like, he, and I'm like, no, he doesn't. What are you doing? He's nasty, dude. What, like, who does he's that? Nasty. <laughs> well, he's grouchy in the book, but in the movie, he's like, oh, I love rotten eggs. Barry and George. Poop on my head, you know. Like. Yeah, but can you imagine, like, if they did, like, a Scrooge McDuck or whatever, like, uh, what is it? Uh, what is, uh, what's that story? The 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 one they, they adapted with Scrooge McDuck or whatever? Oh, oh, Mickey's Christmas Carol, yeah. Yeah, Chris, yeah the, so the, my Christmas Carol comes back and the guy's, like, no shirt on, super hairy. He's, like, shave, trying to shave his underpits randomly and he's smelling his hand. He's like, oh, it smells nasty. It's like... Why are you making this character to be disgusting? Like, they're making it a reason that, like, the Grinch was not liked because he was a bad... Like, I, I don't know. It's weird. Right? It was supposed to be... The I know what you're getting right? at. They're supposed to be about the commercial... Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's just weird that they made well, it Well, if it... 
Yeah, but you know what? I, I, I have to say, despite his nastiness, like um, I actually kind of... I was going to say, like, what, wouldn't it be that? a better lesson for the Grinch to be like, you know what, I'm actually kind of a nasty bastard, so I'm probably not going to be doing this nasty stuff so people could invite me for Christmas? And wouldn't that be the lesson learned? Because the lesson now is, like, everyone has to change, not you. You are perfect the way you are, even if you don't shower or wipe your butt. Right. I mean, I will say shower and good hygiene goes a long way. Right. And everyone should practice that. But There's nothing... Should've, that makes yeah. The Grinch should have taken a shower in the end and been like, "Oh, my heart." That's <laughs> well, maybe he did take a shower because that 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 boob boob woman really liked him. Mm, that's true. Um, but but talking about the game, I, I gotta say, I actually came away kind of enjoying it and missing this era where, where we would just get open world games for like the strangest movies and TV shows. Um, I mean. Personally, one of my favorite franchises growing up was The Simpsons, and nowadays you don't see any Simpsons games. There's just the uh, Tapped Out, which is over ten years old now, which blows my Jesus. mind because I have been I have been playing Tapped Out for that long. Wow! Like I legit I hit it up every time. Ha- hacked. Legit. Every time there's an event, I I hit it up, and I know how to mine the donuts real easy, so I can unlock most things. But but anyway, like I would love to have another Simpsons 3D platformer. I think what's so fun about these, and I'm talking about The Grinch, I'm talking about Chicken Run, I'm talking about The Simpsons, is that they give you this open world setting, and then you're like, let's explore. And it's just, it's kind of kooky and fun to like run around Whoville in 3D. Mm. And it's like dated graphics, a little blocky, but you're like, oh, look, there's a chimney up there, and like, oh, I can jump up there, and oh, there's like a, a police officer, I can burp in his face. Like, I don't know, I, I just feel like because of these types of games, games themselves were more varied back then. Like, we had Dino Crisis, and House of the Dead, and Sonic, and then like Grinch, you know, like right. it's just all over the place. And nowadays, you watch the video game awards, and it's like uh, outer space. Right. Outer space, right? Outer space, medieval castle, and they're all first person, and they all have like hands doing all these like spells, and it's just like you know, like the Grinch. It's just, it's I don't know. Well, the, like the Grinch wouldn't be winning any game awards if, if, even back no, then. No, no, but they're not even making games like the Grinch anymore. They're not. They're. Not, it's really either mobile phone stuff right. for these licensed games. Or really big name, big budget games, or stuff like Mario and Sonic and Crash. You know, like that's where you're getting your, your, you know, your your 3D platformers. Really, the big name ones. I will say um, one of the better I, games to come out that's licensed that was like not mm-hmm. huge budget, but it, they made mm-hmm. it work. Was that Star uh, the South Park one, the stick? Oh, of truth. absolutely, and that that's like a rare kind of has. And that kind of has ties back to this era, too, because the Dreamcast had two South Park mm-hmm. games. There was um, the 3D racing one, but then there was um, Chef's Love Shack, right. which if you play that, it's not the greatest game, but it looks like a South Park episode because it literally uses graphics and clips from South Park. Mm-hmm. It's so bizarre to play this game and then you know, flat, fast forward 20 years and you're playing um, the new South Park game on your Xbox One. And the graphics are pretty much the same as the Dreamcast one, just because it's South Park animation. Um, I, I was going to ask I don't you, know, do, do you miss games like this? Do you miss games like The Grinch? I miss <laughs> I, I, I miss 
aspects of it because I do remember being a kid and playing some licensed games that are like now considered some of the worst games ever made right you'll see them on list but at the time when you yeah. play with your friends you guys had a great time so I don't know if I missed the nostalgia of playing it and like being dumb my fate not having a fully developed brain to appreciate how bad they, these games were sometimes <laughs> but right. like the South Park game where um, the one on the Nintendo 64 that was a first person shooter you remember that one Yes. And I remember playing that a lot. I remember thinking it was so amazing that you could pee on a snowball, even though it's the dumbest thing. Like, now you'd be like, okay, cool, you poop, you you uh, you pee on a snowball, and there's a poop guy that talks. But back then, I was like, what? Right. You can get away with this on games? It's crazy. But, uh, yeah, I do miss it, obviously, some of it. And I, and I, I think there's some indie scene where they make bad games, I guess. Like, uh, how about Bubsy? Would that be considered a licensed game where they brought him back? But then again, he's a video game property, right? Right, yeah. It's it's more like a, revi- a retro revival, I guess. I guess we're having like a lot that. of retro revivals lately, right? Uh, of, like, yeah. the dumbest characters that you never thought were going to come back. <laughs> That's true. Um, the game, the Grinch game, the Grinchy Grinch game, features some quality music, though it's not from the film or even inspired from the TV special, so you're not going to enjoy your mean one, Mr. Grinch, or be treated to any musical segments. However, the music I thought was very atmospheric, moody, a little festive, and fitting for the game's art direction. Uh, the voice acting is actually really well done, though of course they're not using the real actors, they're using sound effects um, for actors like uh, you know Jim Carrey and uh, the like. Um, interestingly enough, the narrator for the game is actually an uncredited George Lowe, who is best known to fans of comedy and animation as the voice of Space Ghost in Space Ghost Coast to Coast and Cartoon Planet, and his many cameos he made since his debut on Cartoon Network and Adult Swim. Um, it's especially strange that Lowe goes uncredited because he was basically joining a pantheon of Grinch narrators that included Boris Karloff for the TV special, who was, um, he played Frankenstein in the 1930s. Oh, yeah. And then, and then Anthony Hopkins in the 2000 Grinch movie, who obviously played Hannibal Lecter. Right. <laughs> um, and so Lowe, you know, he doesn't attempt to replicate either of the voices. He just keeps his normal speaking voice. So it's very clearly him. But uncredited, I don't know if that was his decision or as um, I kind of learned during the uh, Shenmue panel I did at uh, Fan Jam, that sometimes they just wouldn't get a credit. They weren't asked and they didn't deny it. It just didn't happen, you know. Um, So, yeah, but, you know, as a huge fan of Space Ghost Coast to Coast, I was actually really excited to hear George, George Lowe narrating the game. Uh, much like Spider-Man for the Dreamcast, which had Stan Lee himself as the narrator, it kept me playing because I wanted to hear more line de- deliveries from him. And on the subject of narrators in video games, I was wondering if you had any favorites that came to mind. So characters who are like largely off-screen, maybe even unseen. They don't share any scenes with the characters. They're just there to tell a story. Right now, uh, were... Do you have any favorite video game narrators? I was trying to think right now. Like, you literally said... Um... I guess there's always the uh, the dude from Star Trek that did uh, Seaman, because he kind of like... That's a great one. Right, because he did the English voice, right? And he really did set the tone and like feel for that game, and he's literally the only thing that sets the tone and feel for that game outside of the fish. That's really weird. 
Um, I think, and he's Leonard Nimoy. Right. He introduces himself as Leonard Nimoy. Right. He's nobody else. He's just the guy, Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> it's almost like you can't uncredit him because he knew. He's like, all right, I'm going to start this off by saying my name so people understand what's going on here. Right, right. And it's it's weird that a lot of these like more legendary. Uh, it, I guess it's I guess it's we shouldn't be that weird because we also had. Uh, uh, Luke Skywalker do uh, Majima in the first <laughs> Yakuza game, and like everyone That's had true, yeah. forgot that he did it, right? So I guess these yeah. people just go in and get jobs anywhere they can. But that was a good yeah. one. What What about you? I have a few. Um, some that came to mind when I was doing the notes for this were uh, M- NB- MDK2. If you remember that one, it was like. Yeah, the um, dog and the... Uh... It was almost like a radio announcer. Yeah, where he was like, Kurt and Dr. Hawkins are back. Right. You know, it was like a superhero kind of narrator. Or like those um, old... Uh, Professor K. Pictures, the talkie, whatever, like adventure serials. Yeah, the comic book panels. Right. And then um, Jet Set Radio's Professor K, obviously, mm. in the first game he had... Legendary. No connection. He didn't share any scenes with the characters. He just... Told the story in Jet Set Radio Future, though he was kidnapped, which always that always bothered me because I'm like, oh, now he's like a part of the story. Right. <laughs> That's weird. But I love how when they kidnap him, they have to take his entire studio with him in it because he's not allowed to leave. <laughs> he's not allowed um, to be seen it without being in the radio. I I kind of remember Rayman Two having one. Um, the Cave had a very good narrator. If you you right, reviewed that right, game, right. I think. Um. And then, of course, Monkey Island had a really great narrator as well. I don't know if it was the same one as The Cave, same voice, but um, yeah. So, I mean, video game narrators, it's a thing. Oh, Bastion. (laughs) Bastion, uh, an indie game. If you guys haven't Mm -hmm. played it, the game is literally like, I mean, when you finish this, you can see clips of it. But that game has a really good narrator, and it literally makes the atmosphere of the game. He's, He's telling the story while you're playing. And when you make a mistake, he'll he'll comment like, "Well, I guess not right now," or whatever. Like he'll say something like, <laughs> "He's ready to shoot him," and then you get killed. And he's like, "I guess not right now," and then it restarts it. I thought it was a really cool take on narration that blends it with the, what's happening on screen and the gameplay. So that's another one that I've there's played. also there's also games where you're collecting like tapes from someone who was there before. Oh, yeah, and they're like they're dead now, but you're you're hearing the story again. Um, I mean, often they're they're dialogue only, like Red Ring Rico. You right. threw out Fantasy Star Online, um, but yeah, I mean, in this case, like the narrator for the Grinch, very very notable actors there, and then George Lowe just didn't credit himself, and he is on cameo. I actually thought about paying the ten bucks to send him a message, but it said that um, they are not enti- obliged to reply back. And I was like, uh, I don't want to waste 10 bucks. And then he goes, Oh, thanks. <laughs> you know, like, I'm not going to ask, I'm not going to answer um, questions in an interview. And I know the answer because if I were to say to him, Hey, how did you get the role? The same thing. Every voice actor tells me when I ask how they got the role, they go, I auditioned, right. <laughs> you know, like video game narrator. Do you want to do it? Sure. It's a paycheck. Right. You know, why not? Um, so let's. This is this is really cool. All right, I'm gonna blow your mind with this stuff. So, the game's developer, Artificial Mind and Movement, actually had a very long and rather successful career in the industry that continues to this day. The developer is now known as Behavior Interactive, 
but they started in 1992 in Quebec City as Megatune. And two years uh, later, the company's CEO, Remy Racine, co-founded the Montreal-based Multimedia Interactive to develop interactive entertainment software for CD-ROMs. And yeah, his company was Multimedia Interactive. Super, super quality name there. Right. <laughs> um, both of his companies were sold to Mallow Film Communications in 1996, and a year later they were merged into Behavior Interactive, which uh, Racine acted as general manager. In 1997, the studio released the game Jersey Devil on the PlayStation, yeah. which was the first 3D platforming console game made entirely in Quebec, Canada. And um, I have to wonder if there's an, a statue in the middle of the city. Of the Jersey you Devil? Know, like, but like of the game itself, like a giant PlayStation 1. Have you ever like, played that game? Cart- <laughs> no, is it bad? Uh, I played a little bit. I, I, it- one of the first demo discs I had growing up uh, was literally had Jersey Devil demo, and it was it was glitchy. It was like it wasn't the greatest platformer. No, I mean there's a reason nobody talks yeah. about it, right? It's like you know that what that lizard game or that uh, Croc. Remember Croc on Saturn? Mm-hmm. Nobody talks about it because it's not good. Oh. Right. <laughs> That's true. Um, the game was such a success, though, it caught the eye of. Infograms Entertainment, who approached Behavior to produce the game Bugs Bunny Lost in Time in 1999. And that same year, Racine and some investors bought the studio back, but legally they had to rename it, so they changed the name to Artificial Mind and Movement, also known <laughs> as A2M. Oh, everyone knows which, that. What is it? Which can also mean ass to mouth. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, but I don't think at the time they thought about that. Uh, <laughs> they haven't tried it before, that's and, why. And then, then when they tried it, well, like, we made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what it is, though? Right. Um, so working under this new name, the studio continued work for higher products, uh, projects, producing titles for clients that included Konami, Sony Computer Entertainment, Ubisoft, Disney Interactive Studios, Nintendo, EA, and Activision. And it was in that era that The Grinch was produced. And if you followed all of those clients... Um, you'd have to imagine that the Grinch game falls under a very long discography of licensed games. So you don't need to show the URL to the people, but um, I'm just looking at the Wikipedia article for them, and it is, I mean, from 2000 as Artificial Mind and Move- Movement, which was their first, the Grinch was their first game under that title, all the way to 2010. There is so much oh in God. here. Indiana Jones and the Staff of Kings. Ice Age. So their first game the was Mummy. The Grinch, which started off this uh, licensed game craze that they were going on because they did a Carmen San Diego game in 2004. What? Chicken Little, Teen Titans, Ed, Ed, and Eddie, Kim Possible. Isn't the Kim Possible games actually like highly rated? I think I saw them on a Racket Boy list. They might be Ant Bully, um, so yeah, it it oh, is it is a long Zach list. And Cody, that's my jam right there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the studio themselves, they're actually um, best known for the 2010 game Naughty Bear. Do you remember that one? Yep. Yeah, I, I've, and, I've seen it. I don't remember like playing it or anything. Sorry. And it's interesting. I, again, I didn't put this in the notes, but. The Grinch game is a lot like Naughty Bear, isn't it? It's open world. You just go around and you just cause havoc. Right. 
And I was just looking here. Isn't that interesting? They made the game Dante's... Oh, that for the PSP. Never mind. I was like, damn, they did Dante's Inferno. Well, no, no, but... You know, so that Naughty Bear game, it sold 800,000 console units. Whoa, which is pretty good. very good for a small studio like that. Right. But in 2016, their breakthrough original game was Dead by Daylight. Have you played that? I have played it, actually. I didn't know they did that game. That's actually a really yeah, big yeah. hit. So good, good on them. Good for them, yeah. And in 2010, the studio announced that they were returning to the name Behavior Interactive. They they claimed it was due to an increased production of original titles. However, it's also been said, and this is true, um, <laughs> it's due to the name A2M. Um, so, yeah. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. They, they, they found out what it meant? Okay. It might, yeah, yeah. Um so, yeah, uh, it's notable for mentioning that Behavior Interactive became one of the first video game studios to abolish crunch time, the controversial practice in the video game industry that required employees to work long hours to meet project milestones. And the policy um, helped Behavior earn its designation as Canada's best workplaces in 2018, and they won that title again in 2021. And, you know, it's funny, I, I realized as we were recording here that they are located in Quebec. And if you go back to that original Grinch thing, um, that poem, mm -hmm. uh, they mentioned Quebec in the poem. Full circle. Um, so anyway. No, they did the, the Golden um, Compass for Sega on the DS. They did, yeah. So, you know, um, we might be saying goodbye to the Grinch. Um, but not goodbye to Behavior Interactive, uh, an artificial-minded movement, because the developer, like you mentioned, it's known for two Sega games as uh, uh, being behind 2008's Iron Man, as well as the DS version of Golden right, Compass. Right. So um, let's wrap this up. I actually have to get going. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I have some Grinchy presents to drop off. So very quickly, George, what is your favorite uh, holiday game? I don't think it's a, a game that's based around the holidays, but I would say I used to play a lot of Home Alone. Remember uh, 2 on the Super Nintendo, and I think there was a Sega Genesis port. Terrible game. But, I do. But I, I, I do. used to love it growing up. I, I wanted to beat it so bad. And um, Nights into Dreams, having uh, all the Christmas stuff. And believe it or not, I used to always like to play Shimu, the part where the drunken Sansa mm. and that because it's really it's really like I don't know like the graphics at the time really pulled you into the world and it was nice seeing the snow and stuff especially since it doesn't snow where I'm from in California um, <laughs> yeah. I always like that stuff in video games uh, what about you Barry I'll keep it simple Christmas nights yes that is mine and then uh, in two days we're going to have the Sonic Santa suit in Frontiers so I'm looking forward to that yes um, our Patreon supporters, so if you support us on any level on Patreon, you can leave your memories at the end. They shared their their holiday video game uh, favorites. So we have Ben Hayward. He said, I really like the snow level on Sonic Triple Trouble for the Game Gear, if my memory serves right. It's the only snow level appearing in the 8-bit Sonic games. And to be honest, when you're playing Sonic, every day is a holiday. Daniel Andres said, oh my god, I can't believe you guys are doing <laughs> this game for a Christmas episode. I'm not too familiar with it, unfortunately, at the moment. Really, just the PS1 version and only from videos. As for favorite holiday memory from a Sega title, well, geez, there's too many to list. 
that feature Christmas or holidays in general from Sega, but I did do a whole video about it a couple of years back, and he shameless, shamelessly plugs it here. I'll, I'll stick that up on uh, Twitter so people can check that out. He says, in all seriousness, I'll probably have to be... When I first saw Dobu Ita decorated up to Wazoo in good old Christmas fashion, the first time I played Shenmue on the Dreamcast in 2013 was a great moment. I love it. Or when I saw New Year's in Shenmue... Um, or when I was meeting, messing with the photo mode in Yakuza Kwame 2, taking selfies with Kiro around the Christmas areas. That was a lot of fun. Uh, he, he mentions uh, Ice Cap Zone, um, as well as various Christmas mods and DLC for that game. Uh, Sonic Colors he plays during that time, because he remembers getting that game for Christmas in 2010, being an awesome memory, and still playing through Blue Stinger. He also loves to pop in Christmas nights on the good old Sega Saturn. Uh, he says, Sega and Christmas go so well together, thank goodness that Sega is still somewhat keeping that tradition alive. Even today, he's right. A few days. Um, Michael S. says, definitely Christmas nights. I play this probably every year, once during the holidays. The music is really calming. And the storybook intro ending is very fitting for Christmas also. So, no Grinchy... No Grinchy guys here. No, gr- no Grinchy girls. Um, but, uh, yeah, speaking of Grinchy girls, did you hear that... Um, God, who's that actor? He, he, he's very well known, but his house was recently robbed. Someone, A woman was stealing presents under his tree. Oh, my God, the Grinch under his tree. in real life. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I think it was Lady Grinch. Um, Can't so wait for the uh, that's, sequel. That's something. Movie. It was Robert De Niro. Oh. Yeah, his house was robbed by Lady oh Grinch. My. So poor Robert De Niro. And uh, are you <sighs> yeah, uh, poor guy? Before we end the podcast, are you a Christmas guy, Barry? All right. I'm wearing the yeah, hat. I'm wearing the hat. I'm wearing the hat. I got a I got a Sonic Christmas tree over there. Okay, so um, yes. Yeah, and you know, I am. I am, and I'm glad you mentioned that because this episode is going out publicly. On uh, Christmas Day, it's going to be auto-posted, so I hope everything goes well. But there is a 12 Days of Christmas video series I have going on up until Christmas Day. So if you're watching this and you missed those, all 12 of them are up there. Um, Yeah, I went all out. Enjoy them. We'll catch you. Enjoy them. And so 2023. Right. We'll see you guys next year on the next episode of Sega Talk. Bye. Bye.